Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. All right, let's look at this passage we read last week. This starts in Mark 3, starting in verse 20. Again, we read it last week. We're going to jump back in. If you've got a Bible and you want to lay it out on your lap, follow along with me, you can. It'll also be on the screen. Let's start in verse 20 of Mark chapter 3. Jesus entered a house, and a crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. Can you imagine that? And when his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. The legal experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over, they charged. He's possessed by Beelzebub. He throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. When Jesus called them together, he spoke to them in a parable. Well, how can Satan throw Satan out? A kingdom involved in civil war will collapse. And a house torn apart by divisions will collapse. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, then he cannot endure. He's done for. No one gets into the house of a strong person and steals anything without first tying up the strong person. And only then can the house be burglarized. We talked about that last week. I assure you, this is what I want you to pay attention to today. I assure you that human beings will be forgiven for everything. For all sins and insults of every kind. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. That person is guilty of a sin with consequences that last forever. And he said this because the legal experts were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I had some band-aids on my finger during this sermon, and that became a big deal. Everybody was commenting about my band-aids, which I prefer to them commenting on my wardrobe, which I often get as well, so that's fine. And uh, let me tell you the story behind those band-aids. It was a Friday afternoon. Lindsay's parents, my in-laws, were about an hour outside of Memphis. They were coming to visit. We've just moved into a new house. We've been doing a lot of work on that house. And Lindsay reminded me as her family was getting close that in the guest bathroom, there was a slow leak in the faucet. We hadn't worried about it because we hadn't had any guests yet. But, you know, now it was time to fix it. And I'm not a plumber, but I know that when you've got this slow leak in the faucet, there's this little O-ring inside the handle and this little cartridge, and you can pop those out and replace them. Leak fixed, no problem. But even though I'm not a plumber, I know there's one rule to plumbing. Does anybody know what that rule is? Turn off the water first. You know where this is going. So I go in there and I uh, reach under the sink. And in a sink, you can actually turn the water off at the wall. You don't have to turn the main water off at the house. You don't care about all this. But I reach under there and I know righty tighty, lefty loosey, and I turn it to the right and it's not budging. Okay, so I'm pretty sure this is all the way off this sink. Now, what I could have done is, is test the handle itself, but that would have been too much work. I didn't do that. Instead, what I did is I started taking apart the handle. And then I popped that little cartridge out. And when I did, it was like Old Faithful at Yellowstone National Park. I mean, this geyser of water erupts. It's spraying me so hard in the face, I can't even breathe. I can't think. I look up and I'm seeing water go everywhere in the bathroom. And this is an upstairs bathroom. 
And so I'm thinking about all that water going downstairs, too. And I begin yelling this blood-curdling scream at Lindsay to turn off the main water, which I'm, I don't even know if she can do that. But I'm just yelling, Lindsay, the water! The water! And she can't hear me. She's taking care of the boys downstairs. And so I'm, and this, in my mind, this is taking like 30 minutes. It's probably a matter of 15 seconds. And finally, I realized there's no way the water's cut off underneath. And I reach under there and I begin to turn on that corroded knob as hard as I can. And it breaks free. It was just corroded in place. And I'm able to turn it off. Okay. The dust or the water settles. I begin to take stock of everything around me. And there's water dripping from the drywall ceiling on me. I open the drawers around the sink and they are filled with water to the top, the drawers. There's about two inches of water on the floor, above, on the tile floor, and what I notice is that the water is receding. Which means it's going downstairs, okay? And I begin to panic, I'm panicking. I'm yelling for Lindsay, she does hear me, she comes running with towels and we start scrubbing everything up and she notices there's blood everywhere. And I can't make sense of that. You know, I'm wondering if shrapnel shot out of the sink and shot me or something like that. Like, I, I can't figure out where this blood is coming from. There's blood on the glass uh, uh, mirror. There's blood uh, by the toilet. There's blood on the door frame, which seemed very biblical to me. There's blood everywhere. And finally, I look down at my hand, and it is covered in blood. So we put two and two together. I look under the sink at that corroded knob, and there on that rusty, corroded knob, a little piece of it is broken, and it is sharp as a knife. And there's blood on that knob. So I cut myself on a rusty knob. In fact, I cut my finger wide open. I'm not going to get any more details than that. This is PG. We're going to keep this PG. <clears throat> so here I am. My in-laws are an hour away. My house is flooded. There's blood everywhere, and I need stitches really bad. So what do you do in a moment like that? Well, what I did was I called one of our elders' wives who sewed me up and had me home before my in-laws got there, which is full-service shepherding, right? That is full-service shepherding. Okay. Now, here's the thing. As I, have, as I have watched my finger heal over the last few weeks as we fixed the drywall upstairs and downstairs and we fixed the bathroom, it's still an ugly bathroom with tile from the 70s, but it's not leaking actively anymore. As I thought about all of that over the last few weeks, I, it occurred to me that there are mistakes we make that have consequences, immediate consequences, costly consequences, but that nearly every mistake we make in this life can be reversed or can be forgiven or the consequences are temporary and eventually they, they stop, we move on. And Jesus says here that there is one thing, one mistake that if we make, the consequences are forever. They are forever. And so if that's true, then the most important thing you and I can do today is to figure out what that mistake is so we don't make it. All right, so look again at this passage with me. What Jesus says there in verse 29, whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. 
That's the mistake with consequences that last forever. And what you, you might think as you read that is that that is not self-explanatory. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine a scenario in which we sit around telling jokes about or being mean to the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's just, it's just not something we would do. And let me, let me kind of point out to you again what this story is actually about so that we can make sense of what he says here. Notice the story starts with his family. His family gets word, Jesus' family gets word that he's got all these people gathered around him. He's been doing all these things that they're not comfortable with, that are kind of bringing shame to the family. And what do they think about their own flesh and blood? They think he's crazy. They were saying he's out of his mind. That's in verse 21. Jesus' own family thinks that Jesus is a lunatic. They think he's a lunatic. Then go on to the next verse. You've got these legal experts and they think Jesus is a liar. This guy claims to be from God. We think he's getting this power from Satan. He's possessed by Beelzebub. He throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. So his family thinks he's a lunatic. These religious people think he's a liar. And it's in that context, the context of this story, which is all about who Jesus is. It's all about the identity of who Jesus actually is, that when these people get it wrong, he says, they are guilty of a sin with consequences that last forever, okay? And he says this because the legal experts were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Okay, it's not that they said something ugly about the spirit. It's that they are getting Jesus' identity wrong, and somehow that is an insult to the Holy Spirit. They think Jesus is either a liar or they think he is a lunatic. And what we know to be the truth is that Jesus is Lord. Okay, that Jesus is Lord. And he can't be all three of those things, liar, lunatic, and Lord. That's a famous theological thing called the trilemma. You can Google that and read about it later. He is either a liar or a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And right now they're getting it wrong. And apparently you cannot afford to do that. Apparently that's a mistake you can't afford to make. Let's go on. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with it? He says they're insulting the Holy Spirit. Well, do you remember, flip back over to Mark 1. Do you remember how this story starts? Mark starts with giving us um, the answer to this big question of who Jesus is. It's the first thing Mark says. Look at Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the good news, the gospel, about Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It means king. It means Messiah, anointed one. Jesus the king, God's son. So the first thing Mark wants us to know is that this guy, Jesus, is the king and he is God. He's the God king. That's what makes him different from every other king who's ever lived before, after. This is the God king, all right? And then if you flip over to verse 10 of chapter one, look what happens. God puts an exclamation point on that declaration that Mark makes in verse one. When this happens, Jesus is baptized and when he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him, the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, you're my son, whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness, right? Isn't this cool? Okay, God is declaring that Jesus is his son. And notice who makes the connection. 
between God the Father and God the Son. Do you notice? It's in the story. What or who makes the connection between God the Father and God the Son? It's the Spirit coming down on Him like a dove. This is something a lot of smarter people than I have thought a lot about for a long time. And and we get a window into this in this passage. And that's the idea that God the Father has certain things God the Father does. God the Son, as King, has certain things that God the Son does. And God the Spirit has things that only God the Spirit can do. And one of the main jobs of the Spirit of God is to bind together God the Father and God the Son. Okay, the Spirit is like the glue that holds those two together forever, which is a really cool thought because when you and I are baptized into Christ, it only works because we receive the Spirit and the glue that's holding God the Father and God the Son together is applied to us and we are stuck onto them. You know, the Spirit is what pulls us into this forever bond between God the Father and God the Son. And so what Jesus says is, If you get my identity wrong, Jesus, if you think I'm a liar, if you think I'm a lunatic, if you think I'm just a great teacher, if you think I'm just a good guy who lived a long time ago, that is a mistake you cannot afford to make. And what you're claiming is that the Spirit is not doing its job of binding me to the Father well enough. And so you have insulted the Spirit if you don't believe that I am God's Son and King of the world. And that is a mistake with consequences that last forever. He says, everything else can be forgiven, but this I will not forgive. Now, let's point this out. This is from the guy who forgives everything. (laughs) And that's what he says here in this passage in Mark 3, that everything else can be forgiven. This is from the guy who forgives the woman who is caught in the act of adultery which is totally different from a a man or wife forgiving her spouse after adultery and dealing with the turmoil of that and the long process of forgiving. This is someone who forgives a woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, This is the one who forgives Saul when he is on his way to kill Christians on the Damascus road. This is the one who forgives the very soldiers who are killing him while he is on the cross. This is the one who forgives everything and who doesn't resent us for the sin in our lives, who doesn't harbor a grudge against us because he has to forgive us. It's the one who desires, who loves to be gracious to us. That's who Jesus is. But Jesus says, there is even one thing that I will not forgive. Some of your translations say this is the unpardonable sin. And that language is helpful because we all know that if we were to be convicted in a court of law and we were to, to appeal that conviction. We kinda, it would rise up the, to the highest courts in the land, our appeals, and still may get denied and denied and denied. But we would still have this hope, even if it's a faint hope, that the president or governor, you know, that somebody higher up might pardon us. And indeed, every president pardons some. And Jesus says, If you get this wrong, I will not pardon it. I will not pardon it. Okay. This is a major barrier to many. 
in coming to faith. In fact, I think there's probably some watching right now who have struggled with this dimension of Christianity. The idea of consequences for something we do in this life or fail to do that might last forever. And it's really important to point out, Jesus has made a way for all other things, all other mistakes we make in this life to be forgiven, to be repaired. But he says, there is this one thing with consequences that last forever. And this is, if you're watching online, this is not something we talk about every week. I'm not one of those hellfire preachers. There is a generation, okay, where that was all that was talked about. But it is something Jesus talks about. And so it's worth us paying attention to. It's worth us paying attention to. Now, let me say, I resonate with the tension that we feel that there might be some who would not be saved because they get this wrong. In fact, I believe there is biblical space. There is a biblical warrant for us to hope and pray that all people will be saved. I think about Ephesians. This is one of our, our chief verses. We started last year with this. I come back to it all the time where we read that God's purpose, God's goal is to bring all things together in Christ. All things. The things in heaven along with the things on earth. Okay, I'm reminded of Philippians 2 where we read that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now those two passages give us the space to hope, to pray that all people will be saved, that all things will be reconciled to God. But it's really important to say that is not the same thing as saying that all religions lead to heaven. What's the key word? All things will be reconciled, brought together, what? In Christ. That every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I think it is your Christian responsibility to hope and pray that God would save all. But you cannot live your life based on what God might do. You have to live your life based on what Jesus says and who he is. And what Jesus says here is, this is something you cannot afford to get wrong. You cannot mistake my identity or those consequences last forever. So let me show you just one thing as we close here. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. This same passage is in Mark 8. But uh, I'm going to use Matthew's version because, well, I'll tell you what. A couple weeks ago, I had a young man from Mississippi who drove up to visit with me. He's been watching our online service since we started during the pandemic. And he, he drove over an hour to come and sit down with me. He's thinking about being baptized. You see, and this, this young man is sharp. He is sharp. And he has this great desire to honor God with his life. He's thinking about being baptized and he wanted to talk about that. We have a baptism class that's taking place right now with our, uh, in our children's ministry. I had another one that took place earlier in the year with our youth group. Just in our children's ministry, we had 24 young people who attended that class last week, 24. And we had uh, 10 to 15 in our youth group who attended a couple months ago. So what I want you to do is I want you to be praying about, as a church, these over 30 people, maybe 40 people, including this young man from Mississippi who are thinking about right now giving their life to Christ. 
So I sat down with this young man. And one of the things that came up, which often comes up when I'm studying giving your life to Christ with somebody, is this question. What if I don't know enough? You know, what if I don't know enough about this whole God thing, about this whole Jesus thing, and I get baptized? If I don't know enough when it happens, will it still take? You know, will it still work? And I know, I mean, you all have been there. You know that feeling. And the additional complicating worry is not only do I, what if I don't know enough, but what if I mess up afterwards? And what if I sin after my sins are forgiven? Okay, and what I did is I took him to Matthew 16. And so parents, I want to take you here. Young people, if you're studying the Bible with a friend and they're asking you about what it means to follow Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, what do I need to know to give my life to Jesus? This is it, okay? This is it. Um, it's like the cheat code in a game, okay? I'm giving it to you. It's right here. Okay, it's right here. This is Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the, to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? <clears throat> they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the King, the Son of the living God. Now we've seen that language before, haven't we? In Mark 1.1. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. Let me talk to you right now, especially if you're joining us online, if you're one of our young people. You don't have to know everything to give your life to Jesus. You don't have to have this book memorized. You don't have to be able to answer every theological question that's asked of you. You don't have to know everything to give your life to Jesus. What you need to know is one thing. And you need to be willing to give your whole self to that one truth. And that is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You don't have to know everything. But there is one thing you cannot afford not to know. There is one thing you cannot afford to get wrong. And that is, when someone asks you that question, who do you say that I am? When someone asks you that question, who is Jesus? You've got to know just one thing, and that is that he is Christ. He is my king. He is God's son. And if you know that, then what's stopping you? Give your life to him. Why? He's the king. He's the king.